thing with coffee and dessert. So we want to encourage you all to make that a priority. This Sunday, this morning, is a special week in that we are beginning our Advent series. Um, just like that, it's Christmas time. And so uh, we will begin our Advent series. And Advent is just a time of anticipation. Um, Advent is the arrival of Christ. And so here we believe that there's kind of two things we need to consider in the Advent season. One is how those before us were anticipating the first arrival of Christ. And we do that with them by going back to um, the prophets and some things in our Old Testament. And then in the coming weeks we'll consider, and we'll, we'll do this a little bit, um, both parts each week, um, what we're to be anticipating as we anticipate the second coming of Christ. So to, to, to get that going this morning, we've got our little Advent candle. We'll light each, one of those each week as a reminder. And, uh, and there's some symbolism we'll explain throughout the weeks with that. Um, but I'm going to read our, our passage this morning. It's in Isaiah 25. And you can read with me. We might have it on the screen. I don't know, maybe. Um, Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9 is where Brad's going to be preaching from this morning. So I'm going to read this together, and, uh, and then we're going to uh, pray and get started. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's stand and pray together as we get started this morning. Lord, we come to you now and we are very thankful um, for uh, the first advent and we anticipate the second advent. And as we consider what that means in the coming weeks, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to really consider your truth. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised, and we praise you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are very glad that you're here, uh, or if you've uh, been here with us for a while now, we're so glad that you've continued to worship with us. Um, we hope that you will walk with us in uh, community and that you will open your heart to hear what God has to say to you in the coming months. Uh, before we get started, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 25, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 25. Scott mentioned that we're entering into our Advent season, and I just wanted to kind of briefly explain the thinking there. Typically, when the holiday season gets here, so many things in your life and in our life ramp up and get busy with holiday parties, family gatherings, shopping. Uh, there's so many things that we get busy and we ramp up to Christmas Day and uh, opening presents. And yet, in our communities of faith, if we're not careful, we can ramp down. That can just kind of get washed out, the... the the voice of truth and the true celebration and appropriate celebration and anticipation 
can kind of get washed out. And so what we do at Crosspoint is we have Advent sermons, looking forward to celebrating rightly His coming so that we're informed and so that we have details and that we remember what we're celebrating and why. And so that's, that's the thinking behind Advent. That's why we do that. That's why we do things like light candles that represent certain points of His coming. And then, like Scott said, and what we'll do next week is look forward to His second coming. And so um, just a little word there of why we're doing that. And hopefully today we'll leave here worshiping and more informed and celebrating rightly His first coming. And so if you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump in and get started. Father, we want to pray for another church in our community. Uh, I'd like to pray for Ridgecrest Baptist Church, the church that uh, had the vision to start this church. And we're grateful as we look back on the vision you gave their leadership to send families to start Crosspoint. Very grateful. We pray that you would be doing at Ridgecrest the things that we're asking you to do among us, and that's that we learn to anticipate appropriately and celebrate appropriately what you've done and what you're going to do. I pray for Matt, the pastor there, and those that lead with him this morning, that you would um, prepare them. Hopefully you have prepared him, and he is prepared this morning to feed your sheep and that they would lead well and there would be worship in spirit and in truth among us and among them. We're thankful for the heritage that you've given us at Ridgecrest and for the worshipers that are there lifting you up and being fed by their pastor this morning. We're thankful for the time you've given us. I pray that you would speak clearly this morning and that you would equip us with uh, good food and a good nourishment so that we will celebrate and anticipate appropriately. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. title of the message is Appropriate Anticipation. And what we're going to look at in just a minute uh, is Isaiah's anticipation of an event, of a big event, and how he is anticipating and looking forward to it. But before we get there, we just, I just need to say anticipation is a gift from God. We all love having something to look forward to, don't we? It's always nice when, you know, a week or two out, you're looking forward to something. It's nice to go through life having something to look forward to. Look forward to a good meal or look forward to time with family or you look forward to birth of a child, or we look forward to a wedding, uh, or we look forward to date night. That's what we look forward to, right? To have that out there and just have something to look forward to. And anticipation is a gift from God. We say things like, I can't wait for fill in the blank. Well, you can wait, but you have to wait. But when you say you can't wait, what you mean is I don't want to wait. I really want this to happen, right? And so we think, say things like that. I can't wait till we get a day off work, right? I can't wait for a day off. I can't wait for whatever. 
There are so many things that we anticipate to anticipate, and they're gifts from Him, but they're like rays from the sun. Anticipating good things like that are a gift, but to learn how to really anticipate what we ought to anticipate and anticipate rightly, we have to know that those are just like rays from the sun. They're not the sun. Anticipating a good meal, anticipating date night, anticipating a sporting event like Ben does, anticipating things that you love are just like a ray of the sun. They're just a shadow of substance. And what we're going to see this morning is Isaiah, he anticipates a substance and he has a vision of an event that we're going to hopefully climb into and learn to anticipate with Isaiah and celebrate rightly this Christmas season. In order to give us some context, I'm not the Isaiah expert, but I've done as much as I can to hopefully help us understand this context. Um, And I made sure Ben wasn't here when I preached this because he's the Isaiah expert. God's people are not winning in this context of Isaiah. It's not going well. Isaiah is knowledgeable about things. He's been given a vision of truth. And, and few others, if anyone, gets it. How frustrating. You know that feeling. When you know something to be true, you believe it, you stand on it, and nobody else gets it, right? Isn't that frustrating? Or nobody else cares, even worse. And you've got this knowledge of truth. Nobody else cares. The nations have doubted Yahweh. God's people are humiliated, held captive, shamed, disgraced. It's embarrassing, I imagine. And then to have this knowledge, how how lonely of a faith does Isaiah have? A lonely hope. To know some things to be true, to know that God is good and gracious, to know that He's sovereign, He's all-powerful, and nobody else cares. It is like Jesus said in Matthew 9. When he saw Jerusalem and he saw the crowd, he called them. He had compassion on them. Thank goodness. But he said, these people are harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the state of God's people when we start talking about Isaiah. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Isaiah is testifying to God's greatness. He's testifying to the hope of redemption. He's been testifying... But all he sees is God's wrath poured out. All he sees is his people being shamed and held captive. How frustrating to to pine for things and want other people to know what the truth is and nobody else cares. Or nobody believes it. And then to see your people constantly, constantly shamed and disgraced. And so we're going to get a shadow to an event here that Isaiah is looking forward to. He's anticipating He's really pining for this event. And in the first part of chapter 25, there's a song, and then it moves into a poem in verse 6 through 9 that we're going to look at. But this song is a recounting of how strong God is. If you just look there, you know, you've made a city a heap in verse 2 of 25. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. He's recounting, kind of reminding himself in this song that God is powerful. I may be alone in this, I may be frustrated, my people may be shamed. Harassed and helpless, we don't have a shepherd. We're pining for what we don't have. But God is powerful, and he's reminding himself of that. And then in verse 6, 
he looks forward to something. And he starts to explain his anticipation of an event. And so what I want to do is look at four or five of these things. What is this event he's looking forward to? And just describe it as he is envisioning it. And then we'll go back and see how these things apply to us and in the realization of Jesus coming in that manger. Let's look at verse 6 and we'll read through verse 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. So let's look at verse 6. On this mountain, Mount Zion, the Lord of hosts, God will show up and He will have a party. He'll start a banquet. Okay, This banquet that He describes here is a typical coronation banquet, a coronation feast where there's a new king that shows up. A new king has come. God is showing up and He has a new king's feast on this mountain. And this is not a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese with bad pizza. This is not just a party. This is a coronation feast where He brings the best food. With Him comes the best food and plenty of it, enough to go around for all peoples. He's thinking of quite literal festival on the mountain. Typically, a new king gets crowned and he would eat the best food and he might have you know, somebody outside the family circle there, maybe some of his officials that would eat the feast. And then if the subjects got invited, if anybody else got invited in the kingdom, they would get the leftovers and they would water down the wine to spread it out so that everybody could have something to drink. And so you didn't get the best wine and you didn't get the best food if you were just a subject in the kingdom, only if you were in the king's family or you worked for him, typically. But not in Isaiah's, this feast that Isaiah is talking about. He says, he will make this for all people's What he's indicating here is everybody gets to come eat. Everybody gets to come in and eat with the king and eat the best food with him. You don't get any leftovers. You get to eat the best food and there's plenty to go around. Nobody waters down the wine. Everybody gets aged wine, good wine, refined at this banquet. Uh, We had a sick kiddo on Thursday and we go to uh, Christie's grandmother's for Thanksgiving on that day, and I had to stay home with a sick kiddo. And um, Christy has lots of guy cousins, and they eat a lot, and Scott McCullough, he's one of them. And um, I didn't get uh, to eat that day. I was looking forward to it because it's always so good. And I didn't get to because I stayed home, but they brought me a plate. And it was good. They were nice enough. Christy was nice enough to bring me a plate home that night, but it wasn't the same. I mean, I could tell that I was getting 
the pieces of meat that were kind of on the side and maybe a little dry, and it was, everything was cold. Now, it was still good. It was still good, and I ate it. And it was nice of them to bring me something, but it wasn't like dishing it hot out of the pan. And at this feast, everybody dishes it hot out of the pan. Everybody gets rich, fatty food with marrow in it. And everybody gets good wine. And so coming from Isaiah, who he's been disgraced and held captive and not eaten well, and they're hungry. I mean, that's the condition of God's people. And for him to talk about a feast like that, where everybody gets to come in. Man, what a great feast and no leftovers. Turn back to Isaiah 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Flip back just a few pages there. And let's look at the condition of the people, the backdrop for this feast and what's going on. Let's experience the humility of their current condition, the arrogance of God's people, the arrogance of His enemies, and what is happening. What's the backdrop for a feast where everybody gets to come in and eat good? Isaiah chapter 5, look at verse 13. Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry. Their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. The nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down. Her revelers and he who exult in her... Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. So God's people are arrogant, His enemies are arrogant, and He is laying them down. And so, in the midst of that, Isaiah says, but there's a feast coming. When He shows up, it's coming. He's going to have a feast where we're not brought low, we're brought up to Mount Zion. We're brought into the table with the king. We're not laid low. We're not going to be hungry and thirsty. We're going to come in and eat, but we're going to eat the best food. And maybe, you know, if you hear of a banquet like that, you hear of a feast like that when you read that passage, I wonder, and convicted this week, that maybe this banquet doesn't sound so great and then it's hard to kind of get pumped up for something like that because I've already known so much abundance in my life. I've been accommodated so well, right? As an American, I eat good, right? And so it's hard for me to go, well, big deal. Steak and good wine. I've had that. But I wonder if maybe this banquet, it's hard to get pumped up and anticipate a banquet like this until you have known oppression. Until... Maybe you're well acquainted with the disgrace and shame of your own condition. Maybe I forget my lot. Maybe I forget the disgrace of my own sin, the disgrace and the shame that I bring to the table. Maybe I forget that, and so this banquet doesn't look that great to me. Or it's not really something to look forward to. Until you've experienced awful leadership, and some of you, man... Some of us, we've experienced a lot of this. Everybody in here has experienced it on some level, but some of you have experienced dark days of of just awful leadership, whether that's in your family or work, wherever. And maybe until life hasn't been fair, 
a banquet like this where you're invited in doesn't seem that big of a deal. But I think until you've consistently gotten the leftovers in your life, this banquet won't sound that great. But for those of you, I think you've got the sweetest window to a banquet like this when you do know what oppression feels like. You do know what it means to not have a good leader or not be loved well. And you have the sweetest window into anticipating an event like this where he brings you in and feeds you well. This banquet where this good king is crowned, God's people are invited to the high place and not brought low. And it's a meal for all peoples. Here's the second thing about this banquet. This is a banquet of expansion. He's not just for the Jews anymore. He is going to expand. This kingdom is, his king is coming and everybody gets to eat good. The king is available to his people and he's expanding his kingdom. This banquet will be a banquet of expansion. All peoples will be invited. All nations will know. Everybody gets to come. It's a meal of kingdom expansion. This new king will be vindicated at this banquet and so will his people. And not just the Jews, but people from all over the world. Let's look at verse 7. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. This king, this new king, he pierces darkness. He uncovers and brings light and reveals himself to all people. And and this is going to be sweet for Isaiah because you remember how lonely his hope is? Nobody cares. Nobody believes, right? He's the only one or one of the few. How lonely that would be. And then for a banquet like this to happen and God reveals himself and makes himself known and takes the covering off the nations and so that they do see that he is real, he is true, he is good, he is sovereign, he is God. That this king, his king is God. I imagine the relief that Isaiah would feel. If I were him, I would just want to scream at this banquet. See, I told you. (laughs) I told you he was real. See, you can see it. He's being revealed now, and it's not hidden. And I'm not crazy, right? This king will make himself known. It's the other purpose for this banquet. It's a... It's for all peoples. It's a kingdom expansion banquet, and it's a revelation. He reveals himself and makes himself known. God's people and all the other peoples will not have to wonder anymore. Isaiah doesn't have to wonder anymore. Is he true? Is he real? Is he good? Is he coming? Is he here? And at this feast, he won't have to wonder. And this king will reveal himself personally to his people. This king is not aloof, right? He's making himself known personally. He's not sitting alone in a high place, but he comes to the banquet and he reveals himself and he takes the blinders off the nations and everyone will know that he is God and that he is true and that he is good. And I just, I just can imagine Isaiah's relief to say, man, it's going to be nice It's going to be nice when everybody else sees what I see and knows what I know in these visions that God's given me and these oracles and these dreams for everybody else to know. Man, it's going to be good for him to reveal himself like that. 
so frustrating for him, but so much relief at this banquet when he makes himself known to the nations. In verse 8, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You have to remember the finality of death for Isaiah. At the end of life, there was nothing more. Isaiah didn't walk in promises of eternal life. He didn't, he didn't count on and have these promises that, well, you know, we'll get to see old friends again. Or we're going to be present with the Lord. He, those promises weren't there for him. The grim reaper hangs and looms over humanity at this point. Death still wins in the end for Isaiah. And so there's this... You know, life can be good, life can be bad, but really in the end, you just die. That's the context for this. And for him to say, at this banquet, death will be swallowed up forever. The grim reaper won't loom anymore. The curse of sin, the curse over all humanity will be lifted. And death doesn't win anymore. You know... This king, if he can't destroy death, that's what Isaiah must be thinking. If he can't destroy death, then really all he is is generous and a good cook and can throw a good party. Right? If he doesn't conquer death, really, this king is no different than another, any other king that we've had. I'm sure they threw good parties. They had generous kings, I'm sure, at some point. Now, Unless he can conquer death, really, he's just the best party thrower. He's generous and he lets people come. Which of those are all good things, beautiful things to anticipate. But ultimately, if he can't conquer death, at the end of the day, he's still going to die. So what is it? Not that great, really. But this king shows up, and when he shows up, And when he takes the kingdom and he expands his kingdom, death is over. Done. He wipes away tears. And that's not just, hey, if you're having a bad day, he cares about you and wants to help you. While he does that, this tear wiping away is directly connected to taking death away. The saddest thing for Isaiah would be that at the end of the day, you just die. That is the saddest thing for people, to not have any hope past this life. To not have, that's the saddest thing. And this king takes that sorrow away. So he kills death and takes his people's sorrow away. And I wonder, is that what I'm the most sorrowful over and the most joyful over? Do I remember that my biggest problem is death? My biggest problem is sin, not money or parenting. That is my biggest problem, is my lot. What I deserve, that's my biggest problem. And Isaiah was well acquainted with it. He wipes away tears very personally. This king doesn't just do things and act. He interacts. You see that? This king doesn't just say it's going to happen and it does happen. He doesn't just act and conquer death. He acts and then he interacts with his subjects. He interacts with his people, and he personally wipes their tears away. 
Yes, He does this for His glory, but He also conquered death for us. That you feel the care and the tenderness in this King, where He wipes away the tear. He, he does it like we're His children, right? This King treats His subjects like children, like they're His kids. With love and tenderness and care, He wipes away the sorrowness of death. The coming of this king means that death will be dead forever and the only response is joy. The only appropriate response for his coming is hallelujah. Hallelujah. Death is dead. Hallelujah. Isaiah would have realized and enjoyed that even though things were bad, death's going to die. That's where his hope was. It says in verse 8 as well that reproach will be taken away from his people. When you get invited in and you enjoy no more death and you enjoy no more sorrow and you experience the joy of being with your king and being his possession and being at the table with him, his people will not continue to be a people who bear his reproach and his wrath. They, they lose the embarrassing reputation, right? I think there's something to that. Man, you, you just, they lose the embarrassing reputation that they have when, he sh- when the king comes. They're vindicated when the king comes. Whew, vindication feels good. You ever been treated unfairly? I know you have. To be vindicated or treated like you deserve. And it's embarrassing. And it's hard. But when this king comes, his people are vindicated, not disgraced, not shamed. No wrath but they are changed because of who He is. From the judges all the way through the kings, God's people were perpetually living in and out of His grace, in and out of His grace, in and out of His grace, back and forth. Are we in His grace? Are we not? Wrath, mercy, in and out, over with, with this king. That's what it means when their approach is taken away. No more. This king takes away the back and forth. No, grace and mercy will be laid on you when this king comes. Verse 9, my favorite verse here. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. He says this twice. I can almost hear the anguish in Isaiah's voice when he says it twice. We waited for you that you might save us. There he is. We waited. (laughs) Can you hear the weariness and the anguish in his voice of the waiting and the pining and the longing that he knows he's going to endure? Not knowing if he's going to see it or not, he just knows we will wait and he will come. And that word behold, that word behold means you can see him. Like everybody look, right? That's behold. There he is in the flesh. How sweet to say, I see him. He's right here. He showed up on scene. Behold, I told you. See, look, behold him. I waited for him and he came. 
You know that feeling you get when you've longed for something? And when you actually receive it, there's just like, you know, if you've really longed for it, and you finally get there, and it's like, you don't know what to say, it's, oh, you're finally at the concert, your favorite artist, and it's just like, oh, we're here. You finally get to date night, and you just stare at each other. I can't believe it's so quiet. Um, And you just don't know what to do because it finally arrived. That's what I'm hearing here out of Isaiah. I took Hank uh, to his flag football tournament a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's always wanted to go to Bucky's. You know, the the truck stop, travel store, Bucky's, I hope hopefully you've heard of it. It's a massive store with all kinds of goodies and hundreds of gas pumps. You don't have to wait. Cheap gas, it's greatness. It's the greatest pit stop in the world. And uh, Hank's always wanted to go. Well, I didn't tell him I was going to surprise him, but he fell asleep about 15 minutes before we got to Bucky's on the way down there. So I slipped in to Bucky's and I woke him up and uh, I said, look where we are. And he said, Bucky's. And he got out and he's still waking up and we go inside and I'm showing him around and he stands in front of that 100 foot long candy wall. You know, that's a wall of candy half the size of the back of the sanctuary. And he said, Dad, am I dreaming and still asleep or is this real? (laughs) You know that feeling, like, we're here. It happened. I waited, and it happened. And that man, that's Isaiah. He's looking forward to being able to say, there you are. There you are. You, you said you would come. I told you you would come. I told everybody you'd come. Here you are. Whew, I, can't, I almost can't believe it. You showed up. Almost like I hope that when I see the manger scene, I go, am I dreaming or is this real? Am I that enamored with that? Do I pine for it? Not like Isaiah. I live on this side. But I hope Isaiah can teach me. I hope Isaiah can teach me to pine for it and celebrate it rightly to see that manger scene and go, man, am I dreaming or is this real? Is this real? Did that really happen? Unbelievable. I waited for you and you came. And not only has this king come, but he's come to save because we need saving in the worst way. This is what Isaiah pined for. Jesus is coming is really good news, but there's some really good details. Now, I want to turn and look at these, this banquet and this uncovering and the death being swallowed up and His coming for us. What does the banquet mean for us? The banquet for us is what we enjoy every day and especially every Sunday. Everybody, we're at the banquet now. We've been brought in to this feast. What he pined for, we enjoy. Every Sunday, we're fed Jesus again and the gospel and the good food and good news and nourishment. And then he even gives us a taste. He lets us put bread in our mouth. He gave us that and drink fruit of the vine to remind us that you're at the banquet. Turn to Matthew 22. I'm only going to have you turn to a couple of places, but I want you to see this. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 22, Jesus compares the kingdom to a feast, a wedding feast here. And, and remember Isaiah's banquet party, victory crowning party, as we read through this. Matthew 22, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come, representing the Jews. And he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off to his farm and another, another to his business. Now pick up in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Do you hear Isaiah The nations, right? All peoples invite. That's the banquet that we enjoy. And we say, come, come nations to this. This is for you. It's available to you. This Jesus, this King that's come, this this church has been established and it's available to you. And so that's the invitation. As many people as you can find say, come to Jesus. Come to the table, right? We enjoy it. We enjoy this banquet. We're at the banquet. We're already in the banquet, enjoying a feast of rich food and fine wine. That's the symbolism. And for us, just like in verse 7, I'm just going to mention these. You can jot these passages down, but the cover of darkness has been lifted for us. It has been literally lifted in our hearts. The coming of Jesus means that the hearts will be enlightened and there's no more dark covering. That's our story. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. If you want to jot that down, you can turn there if you want. For God who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I'm afraid I forget how blind and how ignorant and how helpless I was before Jesus. I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget how blind, ignorant, and helpless. Those are the words that come to mind when I think about my condition without Him. Lost, clueless, can't see the light. Ignorant and helpless without Him. And He has uncovered my heart. He has uncovered your heart to see the light in Jesus, the truth. Just like in verse 8, death is dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that means when you die or Jesus comes back, one of the two, that's what he's talking about here. Either Jesus is going to come back or you die, your life ends. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is gone in Jesus, and we have victory in Him. 
There's no other way to beat death. There's no other way to cheat it. No way. It's not over at the end of this life for us. We don't walk in that kind of sorrow. We shouldn't. We, don't, we, walk, we should walk in hallelujah, right? I'm not saying fake, smiling, fake happiness. I'm saying at your core, in the depths of your heart, knowing my biggest problem has been cared for. And I was loved by a king who took death away for his glory, but he did it for me too because he cares for me. And he took my reproach away, just like Isaiah said. He took my reproach away. 1 Peter 2.9 But you, listen church, listen cross point, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This does not sound like Isaiah 5, right? <laughs> Hungry, thirsty, beat down, put down, brought low, humiliated, shamed. Okay, now, I'm going to read this again. Remember Isaiah 5. Now, let's You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He owns you. We're his possession. You are somebody's. You are the king's. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, you put 1 Peter 2, 9 and Isaiah 5 side by side, and you'll sing hallelujah. Thanks be to God. And then behold, behold, he showed up. Look at the manger. Our king is here in the flesh, finally, for God's people. They'd say, finally. That was lost on so many of them, but he showed up. All of this banquet, reproach taken away, death being gone, eyes uncovered, happen at the inauguration when he shows up. Now, we use that word inauguration politically, but I want to kind of borrow that from politics. We celebrate inaugurations all the time. First day of school, well, parents do. First day of school, uh, wedding, right? Wedding is an inauguration of a wonderful journey. We celebrate inaugurations all the time, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The inauguration of the banquet, the inauguration of eyes being lifted, the inauguration of death being taken care of, the inauguration of our reproach being taken away, the inauguration of our King showing up on scene in the flesh. That is something to celebrate. Behold, there he is. We celebrate this inauguration. And all of this anticipation is fulfilled in the incarnation. We've read this just a few weeks ago, but in Luke 2, 29, Simeon, Simeon was told, you're not going to die before you see this baby, before you see this king. But then once you see him, then you can die. (laughs) And Simeon says this in Luke 2, Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. I've seen him. Behold your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. There it is again. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. 
My hope is that we can maybe look past the sentimentality and the serenity of the manger scene because it really wasn't a very serene birth, most likely. Um, and it's okay to kind of have those traditional feelings about that. You know, it wasn't, you know, was it glowing and was it perfectly sterile and clean? And Let's move past that just a little bit. And I hope Isaiah has shown us that we can look at that manger scene this year and go, man, like Isaiah, I can't wait for that. I, I couldn't wait for that. I waited for that. And it happened. Am I dreaming? <laughs> or is this real, Dad? Look at that manger. Look what he did. He showed up. And look what that means. That manger means that death is going to die. That manger means my reproach is going to be taken away. That, that manger means that everybody else is going to know that he's God and he's king and he's good. That's what that manger means. Am I dreaming or is this real? I hope that we can at least borrow, maybe that's a better word, maybe borrow some of Isaiah's anticipation as we look forward to celebrating at Christmas. And I'm okay with borrowing some of it. I hope he's teaching me to look forward to celebrating a fine banquet. Let's celebrate uncovered eyes. Let's celebrate glory among all peoples. Let's celebrate no more shame. Let's celebrate no more death via a good king that showed up on scene. We love looking forward to lots of things. Presents, meals, events. But they're just shadows. They're just rays from the sun. I'm thankful for anticipation and the gift He's given us to look forward to things. And I'm, I'm thankful for the good things to look forward to. But I hope in us, what Isaiah is teaching us, is that that anticipation will point us to the greatest and deepest longing that we have to look for our King to come. Salvation has come. I want you to look one more time at verse 9. The last phrase there. This is our response. This is our only appropriate response and appropriate to appropriate anticipation. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Let's pray. Father, before we take um, the supper together and enjoy another taste and another gift that you've given us in this meal, I pray that we would come to you and confess our sins, that we would take this meal rightly, that we wouldn't look past it, that we would understand, you give us understanding and knowledge of what's really going on when we take this meal. Help us to remember your good provision of rich food and well-aged wine. And that you have us at this table because of your invitation and because of your work. And Father, we take this meal, this communion, we take it rejoicing and glad that salvation has come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's pass out the elements.
you, Clint. I think Isaiah would say, I couldn't wait for that. <laughs> Man, we get to enjoy it. He came. I, I, I couldn't wait for that. And now we long each week to come and enjoy it. If you are borrowing some, some of Isaiah's anticipation, and if you have a heart that's rejoicing and glad, take an eat. And take and drink, new covenant. Let's continue in worship. Thank you all again for being here. Kids, you did great this morning. So attentive and um, always do so well with that. Um, just a couple of quick reminders. In a week and a half, on December 9th, Wednesday night, we're going to be in here for the night of recounting. And you're not going to want to miss that. I hope you'll make plans to be here for that. This Wednesday, there aren't any Wednesday night activities. So just in a week and a half, on December 9th, we're going to have that night of recounting. It's always a special night. Men's prayer time is back on this Wednesday morning. And I, I think that's it. Next week, um, what we're going to look at is the second coming and how this, even this passage that we just looked at this morning, informs how we anticipate the next coming. And how do we anticipate the next coming? There's some specifics for us and some equipment for us that Isaiah didn't have that we have. And we've got a calling and some work to do that Isaiah didn't have. And so um, we're going to look at that and what does it mean to rightly anticipate and look forward to his next coming, all right, his second coming, because that's what this season should do for us too. We celebrate the first coming, but it should immediately turn us and gear us and teach us to look for his next coming. And let's do that rightly and appropriately. Um, that's all I have. Thank you all for coming and being so attentive this morning. I hope you have a great week. Let me pray, uh, and I'll dismiss us. Father, thank you for your time this our time that you've given us this morning to sing true songs and good songs that are um, just true and a reset on a week of filled with things where we heard things that weren't true and weren't right. We're thankful for Isaiah and um, for his lonely hope for his great anticipation. I pray that we borrow that. I pray that we would teach our children to look at that manger scene and this season rightly and that they would know how much we have to celebrate at his coming. Thank you for all the ways you provide for us, not just in yourself, but the way you care for us. And I pray that you would continue to grow us and mature us. And uh, we pray for uh, the next week that you would bring us back ready and equipped to hear again what is right and good and true. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.